For the last few weeks, we've examined the fact that as the tribe of faith, people of faith, the bride of Christ, we are to absolutely have a voice in how we are governed and how we operate in in the public square, if you will, not only in politics, but throughout our culture. But then there's also that other line that I, I think is also a great, great reminder for us as people of faith that you can listen as well as you can hear. And so we're to have that voice and we're to be people of humility, people of hope and help and honor as we've looked at over the last few weeks. And today as we kind of wrap up this series, I want to do something a little bit different. Today's going to be more like a conversation, if you will. Now, admittedly, it's a one-way conversation. We're not going to have open mics throughout the room and Let everybody share how they're going to vote on Tuesday. But let me ask you a question. How many of you have already early voted? Let me just see a show of hands. Wow. That is awesome. Give it up for the early voters in the house. How many of you are planning on voting on Tuesday? Let me just see a show of hands. Give it up for those who are voting on Tuesday. Very nice. Now, for those of you who are not planning to vote, but you're of voting age, don't tell anybody you go to church here. Because we have a responsibility, spiritually and morally, to be engaged in the process. And it's an exciting time. I think a lot of us have kind of targeted November the 8th. And, you know, mercifully, the the campaigns will come to a conclusion this coming Tuesday. But it also begs the question, what do we do after the campaign? What do we do after Election Day? Because we've been so focused on the before There's the primaries, there's the polls, there's the politics, there's the candidates. But what about after the election? What what do we do afterwards? And and today, we're going to get into what God tells us biblically. But I want to go back and just remind you of of a quotation that I gave you in the first installment of this series when we started back seven or eight months ago, it feels like now. Um, It's from a book called Onward. Onward is written by Russell Moore, who is a Christian theologian. He's an ethicist. And basically, he paints a picture of how Christians in the 21st century are to function in the public square. And I think it's a great reminder to us as we wrap up this series, just to remember what our our calling as people of faith is really is. This is, what, this is what Moore says, rooted in Scripture, but this is a great, I think, focusing quote for us. It says, our calling is to an engaged alienation. It's a great phrase, an engaged alienation, a Christianity that preserves the distinctiveness of our gospel while not retreating from our callings as neighbors, friends, and citizens. To do that, we would be abandoning a post to which we were assigned and from which We have no permission for leave. The test will be if we can engage the culture without losing 
the gospel. This is our assignment. This is our our calling is to, to be a functioning, contributing member to the society within which we live, to the world at large without sacrificing our principles, without sacrificing the core essentials of our faith, which is, of course, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so today in the time that we have left, we're just going to have a little, little conversation. How many of y'all still have some coffee with you? Let me see, let me, if you will, raise your, raise your coffee cup. Let us raise our, our coffee cup to, to freedom. To freedom, thank you. When I raise my coffee cup to freedom, particularly on this Sunday morning, I'm not only talking about freedom in the United States because as followers in Christ, our perspective, our calling is not limited to the United States. We, we have a much, much broader calling and mandate from God himself. Remember, Jesus said, you will be my disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. So our concern doesn't stop at the ocean's edge from sea to shining sea, but, everybody say but, but this is where we live. This is our community. This is our neighborhood. This is our nation. And so it's incumbent upon us to understand how to have a voice in the world in which we live, to understand what it is that God wants to accomplish in us and through us in the sphere of influence where he has placed us. And to get at that, I want you to look in your Bibles in 1 Timothy chapter 2. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is writing to his young protege, Timothy, his protege, his, his child in the faith, if you will, and explaining to him how to pastor the church in Ephesus, where, where Timothy was a young pastor, explaining to him how to lead a congregation, how the gospel, the, his faith in Christ, lives out and plays out day in and day out. And that letter, we know, was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, and God saw to it that it was included in what's referred to as the canon or the, the whole of Scripture. And it's an incredible reminder in 1 Timothy chapter 2 how Christ followers are to function in the public square, in the court of public opinion, if you will. Look at what Paul writes to Timothy in verse 1. He says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray for all people. Now, if you'll notice here in this translation, and I typically will read from the New Living Translation, there is no qualifier given to all people. He doesn't say, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people who vote the same way you do. I don't urge you to vote for all people who believe the same way. Pray for all people. Right now, with passion and enthusiasm, I want you to look at your neighbor and tell him, pray for everybody. Pray for everybody. Now, if they disagree with you politically, you can say, Lord, man, I, I pray for Sally or I pray for whomever. I pray that you would just open their eyes and help them to see the error of their ways. But I'm praying for them. 
I'm teasing when I say that, of course, because what does he say? He says, pray for all people and give thanks for them. Give thanks for them. So you mean even, even people that are on the other cable news channel that I don't watch, I, I, need, to, I need to pray for them and give thanks for them? God, that, that, that senator in the, in the other party who is wackadoodle-doo, I'm supposed to pray for him or her and give thanks? Yeah, pray for all people. You see, as followers of Christ, we're to look at people through the lens of God's heart, not how they vote. We consider all people in light of the cross of Christ, not whether or not they ride a donkey or an elephant. We pray for all people and give thanks for all people. I'm going to be honest with you. It is amazingly difficult to stay really fired up, put out mad with somebody that you've just prayed for. It is really difficult to pray for somebody by name that you know you disagree with and continue to have contempt or disdain for that person. So right off the bat, Paul tells us, hey, pray for all people. Pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Give thanks for them. So that's, that's everybody. But then Paul starts to narrow it down a little bit. He goes even, even more specifically. Look at what he says in verse 2. He says, pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. So we pray for all people, but then we also, we pray for leaders. We pray for leaders. We pray for, for kings, for heads of state, all who are in authority. Wow. Now think about that for just a second. That. Uh, wait a minute now. Then all of a sudden, I've got to start really looking at people who I vehemently, deep down inside, disagree with and pray for them. I'm not pointing at you. I'm just saying I'm praying. I pray for, I pray for those people by name. A few years ago, I, I had the privilege to attend the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C., and it was a fascinating event. I had no idea the scope and the size of this event. Thousands of people from across the country and literally around the world converge on Washington, D.C. for one morning a year. And there are thousands of people crammed into this huge hotel ballroom. You have senators and congressmen and women. You've got the president's cabinet. You had the president and the first lady were also there. You had... You had world leaders, pastors, imams, rabbis, literally from all walks of life, gathered in this one room for about two hours to pray for the United States of America. It was a fascinating morning, interesting. And Julie couldn't go with me, so I invited Emily, our daughter, to join me. She flew in from college, and we met in D.C. the night before, got up very early, and got to the hotel ballroom, got our seats, and got our place at the table, and... Because it was a political event, about every five minutes or so, there was a standing ovation. 
You know, somebody would stand up and say, today is Tuesday. Oh, yes, that's so well said. Very nice. Thank you so much. It's crazy. It was one of these things. Well, after about the second or third standing ovation, I noticed Emily was sitting to my left. I noticed that she got bumped every time there was a standing ovation because the chairs and the tables were packed into this hotel ballroom so tightly the, the woman who was sitting behind her didn't realize that every time she stood up for the standing ovation, she moved her chair, and Emily kind of got bumped like that. And so it kind of became a joke. Emily and I were kind of like, <laughs> okay. And she's like, I'm getting ready to take her out. And, <laughs> and so after about the third or fourth standing ovation, I, kinda, I, I was kind of curious. I was like, this, this lady has no idea what she's doing. And, and so I just kind of watched. I was a little slow to stand up for the standing ovation. I did, but I kind of stood up and I, I looked back around over here. And it was the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, at the time. And I said, Nancy, this won't do. I'm just kidding. I didn't say I didn't do that. I didn't do that. But it kind of became a standing joke. And so I leaned over to Emily. And I said, hey, just so you know, the woman who keeps bumping you is Nancy Pelosi. If you get mad, they're taking you out of here in handcuffs. So just keep that in mind. But here's what I noticed even more significantly. As I looked at the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, I looked across the table from her, and on the exact opposite side of the same table was Texas Senator Ted Cruz. I was like, mind blown. Here they are. I mean, you could not be more diametrically opposed politically than Nancy Pelosi and Ted Cruz, on one side of the table, we'll say the, the left side, you had Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> California, card-carrying, firebrand, liberal Nancy Pelosi. And on the other side, we'll call it the, the right side, you have Texas, Republican, Tea Party Ted, at the same table, clapping at the same time laughing at the same jokes, praying the same prayers, all at the exact same moment. And here was the lesson for me. It, it, was, it was so profound because I sat there and I watched, there's Nancy Pelosi, there's Ted Cruz. And God reminded me of this passage from Timothy. And I realized in that moment that I should be praying for Nancy Pelosi and Ted Cruz exactly the same they both are in positions of authority they both are in leadership positions now to be sure i definitely align and you would probably align more with one than the other nobody's going to say man nancy's the best ted he's a stud nobody i mean you're going to choose one or the other in that particular option but as followers of christ we pray for both the same we pray that God would give them wisdom. We pray that God would give them grace and give them favor. Because the fact of the matter is, according to Scripture, all of us need all of them to do a good job. We need all of them to govern well and wisely. We need them to make good choices. We need them to lead with integrity and to lead with honor. So we pray for all of our leaders exactly the same we agree with some more than the other but we pray for all exactly the same we pray for those in positions of authority we pray for those in leadership whether we agree with them or not you see 
there's something bigger going on here. There's something more important than Election Day. Election Day matters. We've just spent the last four weeks out of this entire calendar year talking about how we function in the political process as people of faith. But Paul reminds us in the very next verses of our priority. We'll look at what he says. He says, we pray for those in authority. Then in verse 3, now this is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. That is the man, Jesus Christ. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. So yes, we pray for all people. We pray for leaders. And we prioritize evangelism. Prioritize evangelism. Evangelism is just telling good news. And the best news in the world is that Jesus Christ died on a cross and rose again so that you and I could be made right with God. There is one mediator. There is one person who offered and did die for you. This same Jesus. And he is the one who drives everything that we're about. Much more than voting red or blue, left or right, whatever it's going to be. We prioritize evangelism as followers of Christ. The reason we're still here is to grow the community of Christ one life at a time. That, that's, that's why we're here. Because otherwise, once we come to faith in Christ, once we've been justified, like we talked about two weeks ago, we are made right with God in Christ. Once that happens, why not just go to heaven? Why not just go, boom, you're out of here. Beam me up, Scotty. Because there's work to do. And so we pray for everyone. We pray for leaders so that we can live lives of quiet godliness and dignity and remember to share with as many people as possible the good news of Jesus Christ, to, to invite them to be a part of it, to, to invite them to taste and see that he is good, to experience the gathering of the church on a Sunday morning, but also to be able to have a conversation with somebody and, and to be able to say, let, let me just tell you the difference that Jesus has made in my life. We, we can talk about politics if there's time after that, but I, I want to talk to you about forever. I, I want to talk to you about heaven and hell. Heaven and hell are real. Heaven and hell matter more than Republican or Democrat, capitalist or communist. Heaven and hell are about forever. And Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again so that you and I could be justified and made right with God. Because the Bible tells us that we're not right with God in and of ourselves. You see, I was born into this world like you were born into this world with a complete PhD in sin nature. Nobody had to teach me how to sin. Nobody had to teach me how to be selfish. Julie's been trying to break me of it for 25 years. I, I understand selfishness. I understand sin. 
and God doesn't because God is holy and righteous. He is separated from sin. And I do that. You do that. Jesus brings that relationship right again. Jesus is the one who is God, became one of us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us so that whoever believes in him would never die but would have eternal life. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And that is our first priority, our primary priority. Now, we said at the very beginning that it's incumbent upon us to to say it loud and to say it proud and, and to listen as we hear. As followers of Christ, evangelism is our primary priority. But we also have to be able to articulate a political perspective. We've got to be able to have a conversation with people that disagree with us. And don't ever let somebody bully you into backing down. Don't you try to impose your morals on me. Well, okay, listen, I understand that. I get that. But they've just imposed their morals on you. So we've got to be able to articulate, this is what we believe, this is why we believe it, and this is why we vote the way that we vote. This is why we vote for whom we vote for. But ultimately, it's about our relationship with Christ and how that permeates every part of life. So we prioritize evangelism. We put it in the right place. But then look at what Paul says in verses 7 and 8. He says, now I've been chosen as a preacher and apostle to teach the Gentiles this message about faith and truth. I'm not exaggerating, I'm just telling you the truth. In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. And when he says, I want men to pray like this, it's men and women. It's kind of the the vague general humanity, mankind. I want people to pray free of anger and controversy. I want everybody to do me a favor real quick, since we're having this conversation over a cup of coffee. Everybody just kind of sit up. Now, turn to the person that you're sitting next to. And you may not know them, but they're a wonderful person. Maybe have lunch with them, especially if they're cute and you're not married. And if you are married and they're cute, have lunch with them. But tell your neighbor right now, chill out. Just just chill out. I, I want you to lift up holy hands of prayer free of anger in controversy. Just, just don't be so mad all the time. I get Facebook. Man, I, I know I know some lefty libs who are just hacked off. I know some righty conserves who are just angry as all get out. I mean T O'd ticked off, chapped, hot. That's not how God wants us to live. Half of our nation, half of our nation 
is going to be frustrated with the results of the election on Tuesday or whenever the election settles out. <laughs> I, I'm just saying. But for those of us who go by the name Christian, when we remember the priority of salvation, we remember the hope that we have in Jesus. We remember the fact that we have been freely justified by faith, made right with God, that we are being sanctified and made more like God. Whatever our response to the election, we remember the one who establishes kings and takes them down. We remember that we worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is our hope and our confidence. And in him, we are more than conquerors, and nothing will separate us from the love of God. Nothing will get between us and what God has in store for us. This is our God. It's who he is, and it's what he does. So in the meantime, we will pray and work for peace. We will pray and we will work for peace. Here's something I know to be true. No one has ever drifted into peace. Nobody wakes up one day and just goes, wow, I'm just so peaceful. I just, this is just awesome. I don't know how it happened. I just, I just woke up and I, I was peaceful. This is neato. What did Jesus say? He said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. You, you make peace by making peace with God in Christ and making peace for God. We make peace with God in Christ. Remember, prior to Jesus, before you come to faith in Christ, we are enemies of the cross. We are at odds with God. But in Christ Jesus, our relationship with God is restored. It is reconciled. And we are made right with God. And because we're made right with God, then we make peace for God everywhere we go, in everything that we do. We make peace. We, we bring order. We bring truth. We bring grace. We bring life in everything that we do. And we remember that it, it's all about Jesus. It is, it's all about Jesus. How I vote is all about Jesus. How I vote is not all about how I vote. How I vote is all about Jesus. And it's about bringing that truth and grace to the public square, to being a voice of light and reason. I think about William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce, who lived in England of a different century and convinced a nation of the evil and the abomination of human slavery. It was just an accepted part of life. And yet, 
through his tireless efforts of working with people of all political stripes, he led a movement that convinced a nation that enslaving another human being was evil, that, that they were better than that, that they should aspire to something more. Who's the next Wilberforce? Who's the next one to bring God's truth and light to a world that is literally dying for it? Not only in the political realm, but in entertainment, in academia, in the marketplace, in your home, maybe in your school, maybe in your dating life, maybe in your marriage. Because of that relationship with Jesus. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And this morning we are going to end a little bit differently than we normally do. We're going to pray. Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer. And so I want to invite you just to join me in a, in a time of prayer as we pray together for all people. Our neighbors, our nation. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you've commissioned us to be people of hope and help and honor in this world. And so God, right now we pray for the people that you've placed around us, people that you love. We thank you for them in our lives. We thank you, God, for those that we agree with and for those that we disagree with. And now, Father, we pray for our leaders. We pray for President Obama. Senators Cornyn and Cruz. Our congressmen and women. Father, we pray for Governor Abbott, Lieutenant Governor Patrick, and all who govern at the state and local level. Father, for all of these, we pray your wisdom. We ask God for your favor. That they would be faithful with the responsibility that you have entrusted to them.
And now, Father, we pray for the courage, for the grace and the truth to share the gospel with our friends, our family, neighbors, coworkers. God, use us to be light. And Father, we pray for peace. That we would be people of peace and justice in our homes. amongst our friends. In our community and city. In this state and in this nation. And God, even to the ends of the earth. our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed for just another moment if you're here today and you've never stepped into a relationship with Christ maybe today was the first time you've ever heard the gospel that Jesus died on a cross for you paying the penalty for your sin that he rose again from the dead and in his resurrection there is an offer of a new life in him so that whoever believes in him would never die but would have eternal life. If you're here today and you want to step into that relationship with God through Christ, then we want to give you the opportunity to do that, just to pray right where you're sitting, a prayer of commitment, a prayer of following. Just silently right where you are, you can just talk to God right now in your own words and say something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I confess my sin to you holding nothing back and I claim your forgiveness Jesus in exchange for your life I give you mine and I will follow you from this moment forward If that was your prayer, this is the most important moment of your life. If that was your prayer, that was the beginning of a new life in Christ. And so as a church, we want to celebrate that and honor that. But we also we want to help with it. Before you leave today, inside your program, 
When you open it up, you'll notice there's an area there called the Connect Card. If you would, just fill that card out before you leave. And about a third of the way down, you'll notice there's a, a space there that says, I committed my life to Christ this week. If you just mark that, and then tear that card off at the perforation, and before you leave, just take a brief moment, make time to make a personal connection and just hand it to one of our ushers, somebody wearing one of those cool LHC shirts, and just briefly hand it to him and say, hey, today was my day. And as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if that was your prayer and you meant it, would you just quietly but unmistakably raise your hand, just hold it up high over your head for a moment? Because as you do, you, you stamp this moment in your life as the most important moment of your life. But it also stamps this moment in the life of this church. Because this moment is why we exist. And so as a church, as a a family of faith, we want to be a safe place, a place to help, a place to grow. And so as you put your hands down, we put our hands together to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.